0: probably uh probably notice the painting up here in front. Uh, it's a painting that Cami's doing about our series, um, Nobody, Somebody, Everybody, Anybody, that Jesus came for all the Buddies. And uh, so Cammie is adding to this painting each week. So you can see the first installment was uh, the Nobody, and then Last week, uh, Ryan preached on Jesus came to make us somebody. And Candy added somebody to the painting. And so we'll be watching the progression of that as we go through this series. All right. Let's uh, bow our heads in prayer quickly. Lord God, I pray that the meditations of our hearts and that the words of my mouth would be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus, amen. Well, as usual, if you've been around when I'm preaching, I like to get everybody involved. so. This morning won't be be a little different because I'm going to preach a sermon. But if you want to ask a question at any point, go for it. The only only thing is you're really gonna have to interrupt because I'll be in sermon mode. So I'm not gonna, you gotta shake me out of uh, whatever state I'm in to uh, get your question in. But I'm perfectly happy to welcome questions from anybody except Gary, okay? He's he's lost his rights for a while, getting off subject, okay? So, but this morning, as usual, I would like to start with a story. And uh, you could uh, tie to this story, my life as a drug dealer. My life as a drug dealer. When uh, Kelly and I, we moved around an awful lot, we uh, went to Mexico, Yucatan, Mexico, where I taught as a seminary professor in a, a seminary down there. And we came back to San Diego, which is kind of where our families are, and we, where we always sort of gravitate back to or we did. And uh, I needed a job to fill in the space between what was, what was coming next and uh, We were praying about that but there really wasn't uh, any clear thing that was coming next. So I got a job in downtown San Diego as a bicycle courier. Fantastic job. (laughs) You get exercise, you're outside. It's got busy times. It's got not so busy times where you can read lots of books. Uh, I really, really like Bicycle Courier. Kelly did not like it because it did not pay anything. i was <laughs> practically doing it for free, but uh, oh well. So I had that job. And uh, what I didn't know was that there was somebody in downtown San Diego who was a drug dealer who looked exactly like me. Exactly like me. Now, I never met this guy, but let me tell you how I know from the day one, when I was riding my bike around downtown San Diego, delivering packages, people were waving to me, calling me over, asking me, hey, when did you get back in town? And from the start, I was like, I don't, you know, I don't remember meeting you. Or At first, I was confused. I thought, wow, a lot of people know me, and I don't remember these people. So, uh, and I'd say, you know, so I'd say, oh, I got back in town a couple months ago, because I did, from Yucatan, Mexico. As time went on, this became a regular part of my job, is meeting people that knew me, but I didn't know them, supposedly. And no matter how hard I tried to talk them out of what they thought, who I thought, who they thought I was, I couldn't do it. Uh, I mean, there were times when people would come up to me, and they would put their arm around me, and we'd be walking and said, Oh man, I remember that time we got, we got so wasted, and you got all that great stuff, and we went up over there behind that building, wasn't that sweet? And I'm like, that's, I, I'd be like, no, that's not me, I, you got me confused. No man, you remember, Come on! And it was just so, I could not shake this, because this apparently I was the spitting image of this guy. Well, that went on, several other events happened in terms of that, but then it came to a head uh, one day, and uh, I was having lunch at a park, Balboa Park, if you know San Diego a little bit near the zoo. Uh, A friend of mine had decided to meet me for lunch, so we were at Balboa Park, my bike is against a tree. We we're sitting on the grass having lunch, and while we're having lunch, a guy walks up to us, and another guy stands about ten feet back. And he walks up and he says, "I know who you are, and I'm and I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you right now." And so this uh, guy from being funny, all of a sudden it's like serious. You know, I was having fun with it before, but not so much now. And so this guy and I'm like, no, I'm not the guy. I'm not the guy. I look just like him. Everybody thinks I'm him. I'm not the guy. He's like, no, you're the guy. You're the guy. I'm. We. I have a gun in that car right there, and it's aimed at you, and you are gonna die. And I, I was. I. My friend was like, what? You might me to lunch if this happened. You know, we were, we, were, we were terrified in some sense. And I kept arguing, I kept saying to the guy, no, I'm not the guy. I was born over here, and, and I have a wife, and my kids are these. I have kids named this, and I live in Spring Valley, and I'm not the guy. And no matter what I did, the guy would not, he, could, he would not turn away. He, would, he just said, no, you've you got to stop lying to me. You've got to stop lying to me because you're the guy and and you're dead. And so, I had a few options. I thought, okay, what what options do you have when uh, you're going to die for somebody else and they think you're him? And I was, you know, it's almost like, I'm not Jesus and yet here I'm going to die for this guy's sins because they, they're not going to believe me. This guy's not going to believe me no matter what. So one option was run away. And I'm good at being uh, scared. I can run pretty fast. But I had my friend there. and He was older. And I'm like, uh-oh, I'm going to run. And they're going to kill Dave. And he's, uh, this is not going to look good. So, okay, that was out. And then another option ran through my mind. was, okay, we can fight. You know, I thought, oh, I could just fight this guy. And maybe I could get out of this. And I didn't think, I ended up not thinking that was a very good option either because the gun was in the car and they were going to come over and shoot me. So Dave and I were sitting there, and finally I just said, okay, I'm going to die. So I'm going to tell this guy about God and Jesus.
1: I'm not a big evangelist. If you know me,
0: I, 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 I'm not a big evangelistic type. And so this guy's there, and I just start saying, and so I just start telling him about God and Jesus. And I said, you know, God really cares about you, and and your mother is probably praying for you right now. I'm guessing, he's like, leave my mother out of this. And I'm like, and you know, Jesus really came to show you a better way, you and me, and On and on I start talking about God and and, and Dave's looking at me like what what are you doing? You're just talking about God? You know, and after about five to ten minutes of talking to him about God and who God was for him, uh, he started shaking his head a little bit. He starts and then he's and then he said, Maybe you're not the guy. (laughs) Maybe you're not the guy. And he looked at me and he's like, I still think you're the guy, but but maybe you're not the guy. You know, and and he got a little bit of doubt in his mind about me, which wasn't, I don't know, wasn't really my intention. It was just like, I'm going out and I'm just going to go out in style and tell him about Jesus as I've died. And uh, he got a little more doubt, a little more doubt, and then uh, just out of, uh, well, maybe, maybe, God's providence, made, I don't know, but a policeman on a, on horseback was riding through the park and came yeah. riding and stopped close to where we were. And was my salvation? <laughs> Me and Dave. And uh, the guy took off, got in the car with the other guy, and they drove away. And I actually never saw him again. Praise God. And uh, So, uh, but I think what I was, I've been thinking about that and I think what was happening is that I knew Jesus. I felt like I had a connection with God and with Jesus. And for some reason, I always felt like, I grew up without church and without God in my life and when I look back I think God was there. There's a connection there. And somehow I just thought this this guy must have a connection this must be the way to reach him somehow to change his mind. And I think that the more I went on about his mother and God and pray, somehow it started to sink into him. That God has, and I believe that God has a connection with everybody. God has a connection with everybody.
1: Well, this morning, we're gonna talk
0: about everybody and, and look at some passages of scripture that have to do with Jesus coming for everybody. And we're going to go through that and look at that and kind of wrestle with what that means. But uh, I think what we find is that uh, one of the values in our statement of values for this church is that uh, we value the tension and mystery inherent in faith. And in that situation with that guy, there was a lot of tension and a lot of mystery. Will I die or will I die? Not too much mystery, just one or the other. I hope, but in the scriptures we have lot. There's lots of things that create tension and mystery. And actually, I was going to ask you if you can think of a few of those things. What what are tensions or what are tensions in scripture? Things that seem opposed to each other or mysteries that are unsolvable. Free, free will and God's providence. How about just the Old Testament and the New Testament? Wow, that's a, you know? Oh, the Old Testament's this way and the New Testament's this way. What about Jesus saying, you, if, you love, if you lose your life, you will find it? Judgment and grace. Love your enemies. Those seem kind of contradictory terms, love your enemies. God on the cross. Paul says, Jesus on the cross, if God's on the cross, it's a scandal to Jews. The the, the Greek word is actually scandal. It's a scandal to Jews, and it's moronic to Greeks. It's it's foolishness. The word is actually the root word for moronic. And law and grace, law and grace about. So there's a lot of tensions in the scriptures. And this morning, I want to talk about the tension and focus on the tension between did Jesus come for everybody or just a few? Will Jesus come back for everybody or will he come back only for somebodies, a few somebodies? It's a tension. It's hard to, 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 to figure out this in scripture because Let's see, let's illustrate this. I always do better if I can see things uh, pictured. Uh, so let's say this, on the one hand, this, this is Jesus is coming back only for a few. Okay, and there's a lot of scripture passages and Aubrey's gonna throw these up there as we go through them. The first one is, is Matthew 7, Where Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. Don't enter by the broad door. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Very clear. Only a few find it. Also, this isn't going to be up on the screen. But uh, think of the parable of the sheep and the goats. The sheep are welcomed into the kingdom of God because they served Jesus in the, in the little ones, in the ones and the lowly ones. And the goats are marched off to destruction. Only some people are saved. Then we have Thessalonians, the next passage of scripture. This says, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. Wow, that sure seems to say some people are not going to make it. Only a few are going to be saved. Only some are going to be saved. So that's this position. Let's say this position is righteousness and, and law and the few. Okay, this is it's fun to stand on these things. Oh, Captain, my captain. What movie is that from? <laughs> that's right. I, wow, I heard to the quote. I don't usually get to do that. Um, okay, so that's the one hand. That seems pretty clear forward, pretty straightforward stuff. And that's the thing with, uh, with our faith and our story. There's another side to that. So let's see, the other hand is this, and we're gonna, okay, so on the other hand, there's a lot of scripture passages and stories that seem to indicate everybody is going to be saved. Everybody's going to be saved. So let's look at those. Uh, Actually, the first one is a Christmas passage from Luke. Very nice passage. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them. That's probably the peanuts version. And they, and they were terrified around about them. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. And we're just going to stop here, Aubrey. That will cause great joy for all people. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. That's pretty clear. Okay, let's, another passage is Romans 5, 8, where Paul talks about, Consequently, just as one trespass results resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Wow, a few people, all people, And we're reading from the same Bible. This is tricky. And then you probably remember the passage from Philippians chapter two. This is not in there. But the passage where it says, Jesus went to the cross and died as a slave, a servant. Therefore, at his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess, on the earth, under the earth, over the earth, in heaven, everywhere, every knee shall bow. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of knees and a lot of tongues confessing. Okay, so, on this side, we've got everybody is saved. On this side, we've got only some people are saved, somebodies or a few. And yet, these things come from the same scripture. Oh, let me share one more scripture passage that was on the next page. Revelation 5.13. Ah, you already Then I heard, this is a great, great scene, then I heard every creature, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Every creature that's us and that's every other creature. It kind of Sometimes I get in these daydreams, and uh, so earlier today, this morning at five in, in the morning, in, in bed I was laying there, and thinking about every creature, and thinking about myself standing there, and, and like a line of worms, you know. A line of worms next to me, and they're just shouting as loud as they can, glory to God in the highest. So, and then some monumental creature on, on this side, but I don't you know, I just got kicked from worms Praising God, Dun beetles and worms and every creature—that's just going to be incredibly fantastic. So, got everybody, every creature, somebodies, some people, a few, just the sheep. How do we deal with tensions? in our faith? How do we deal with these mysteries? How do we live our lives in the midst of this tension? And what does this have to do with Christmas? Um, Junior hires are here today, huh? Can you guys help me out a second? I won't make you say anything. You just have to grab that board over there, Seth and brother, if you want, could you? Just grab that board. I know if you were in high school you wouldn't do it, but junior hires. Go for this. Bring that over here. We're gonna put that between these chairs here. Appreciate it, guys. I owe you a big time. Thank you, thank you. Okay, so this board represents the tension between the things that are opposites or seem to be opposing in scripture. There's all kinds of those tensions. God is three in one. And this tension with the few and 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 everyone is a huge one for us. What does it mean for us? Well, I think what it means is that the first thing that it means is that faith is not a camp, not a position, not a place but faith is a journey. So faith is a journey. When's the last time you saw a sermon doing this, huh? All right, so faith is a journey. The tension connects these in Scripture, but we're called to move back and forth between them. When you take one side of what Scripture says and you push it aside, you camp there. You become, you become sedentary in your faith. But what it means to grow in faith is to be able to walk between things that are mysteries and tensions. Spend some time here, walk back. Spend some time in the middle. Right here, which chair is holding me up? Both chairs. Both chairs are important. (laughs) Both chairs are important. Both chairs create a third thing, a mystery, That is fundamental to our faith. Okay. How do I know, why do I think faith is a journey? Well, it's such a popular word. It's not because of that. But because Jesus calls his disciples to follow him. He says, follow me. He doesn't say, hey, stand next to me. Or sit with me in my house. He says, follow me. That's a journey. Later, the, the, uh, the church and the people of God are called the way, the way. Because it's a journey, it's a, it's a road, it's a path that you're led on. You don't stay where you started. Paul talks a lot about walking spirit. Walking in the spirit. And he also uses the word being sojourners. We were in a community in San Francisco called sojourners. So we heard a lot about what it means to be a sojourner. And sojourner is someone who isn't settled, someone who's ready to go at all times and and keeps moving. And in some sense, that's what we are called to do and be in Scripture with the tensions in Scripture, is to visit all parts. The second thing that I think this means as far as the mystery and tension and how to live in it is that faith is trusting in a person and the character of that person, the person and character of God, and not in a system of thought or practice. I'm not saying systems of thought or practices are bad, but when faith is in a system of thought or practice, you lose sight of the whole, you lose sight of the mystery, you lose sight of the tension. No, faith is in the character. At some point, faith is about trusting in God's character and not our ability to figure out God's plan. How many of you have God's plan figured out? Come on, some of you guys do. No, neither. Faith is not about figuring out God's plan and then going forward. Faith is trusting that God knows what he's doing, that Jesus knows what he's talking about. This week at Ten Men Table, we were looking in uh, Luke chapter 20. And we got uh, and the Pharisees come and they ask, or the Sadducees come and they ask Jesus, hey, we've got a question for you. And they're trying to trick him. And they said, uh, this, this woman was married to this guy. He died. And in the law, it says that his brother needs to marry her. She did. He died. He didn't give her any children. And apparently, you keep marrying the brothers as they die until you get some children out of this, the guy had seven brothers, she married seven times, he died, they all died, she ended up childless. So they're thinking, so they make up this riddle, and they say, when we get to the kingdom of heaven in the resurrection, whose wife is she? Which of the seven? Well, Jesus said, you know, Jesus doesn't take a bait. In fact, Jesus says something much bigger. Jesus basically says, you know, the law is good for a time, and it's important. But what's more important is who God is. And who does Moses say God is? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if Moses says he is the God, and if God says he is the God of Abraham, that means Abraham is not dead to God. And then there's this great verse I never saw before. Actually, let's put that up there. Verse Thirty-eight, And then he says, he is not God of the dead, but of the living. For to him, to God, all are living. Wow, we were just talking about around the table, drinking coffee early in the morning, and I'm just like, wow, that's, I've never seen that. That's, it's about God's character. Faith is about God's character. And so we need to spend time knowing the character of God. Now I'm gonna show you a, a, a clip from the movie The Passion of the Christ, just a really short one, that I think expresses, uh, expresses the character of God in Jesus. Now I'm gonna warn you, uh, for the kids, it's a, there's some blood involved, because Jesus is carrying his cross and he's bleeding so, I don't know if you want your kids to go out or if you want them to stay in. I don't know. If you make that decision. Um, just giving that little disclaimer. Um, the other disclaimer is that's very interesting, actually, is this is actually, uh, this scene is actually biblically untrue, but theologically stunning. So, see if you can put those together. Let's go ahead and play the. I think my favorite scene in that that movie. Um, That's my favorite verse in the Bible, too. The thing is, Jesus isn't quoted as saying that in the Gospels. He's quoted as saying that in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 21, I think it's verse 5, Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. Can't wait for that day. Can't wait for that day. That's the character of the God we walk with in faith. So we do need to take into account scripture and and theology and and teaching, but we need to trust in the character of God that says, while going to the cross, behold I make all things new. That's a tension, if there ever was one. So here the board also represents God's ability to span and encompass all the tensions in Scripture. When we get to the final day and we're all together praising God, it'll be because God knows what's going on. God knows how to hold these things together. The few, the sheep, the all on their knees. It doesn't make sense to me or to us, but God knows how to hold it all together. So what do we do with this? Um, I suppose my my title here is Pastor of, of Mission Practice. So I'm all about, okay, that's great. That's really important to know. But how do we practice this? How do we put hands and feet to this? So I think I'm going to use uh, three words that come up often in Scripture and they're really important. And they're taught. Uh, the words are faith, hope, and love. I want to talk about practicing this in faith, hope, and love. First, faith. I believe we practice this in active believing that God has everyone's best in mind. Active believing that God has everyone's best in mind. Let's look at John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God has everyone's best in mind, even if we can't figure that out, even if we think he doesn't. I think that's one way to approach faith, is actively believing God has everyone's best interest in, in, in mind. So the guy's up coming up to me and says, I'm going to kill you. I need to believe God has his best interest in mind. Even if it kills me. Think about it. Did Jesus harm or hate anyone? There's one one passage that you probably could say, well, maybe you did. Does anybody remember that passage? Where you, throws over the tables in the temple and says he made a whip. I I don't know if he whipped anybody. But other than that, Jesus didn't harm anyone. Jesus only helped people.
1: In fact, even the
0: demons, when he would cast out demons, they would say, hey, Jesus, could you let us go into the pigs, please? And Jesus would say, okay. So Jesus didn't eliminate or destroy the demons even. He didn't harm anyone. So faith, active believing that God has everyone's best, my, best in mind. Second, hope. We need to hope for everyone. Now I can't convince you or even myself to be a universalist theologically. There's just too much uh, information on both sides. You can't, I don't think you can make a theological statement like that. But I want to convince you this morning to be universalist in hope we should hope that everyone is saved and maybe even every creature is saved hope that everyone's saved who do you consider as hopeless this morning who do you consider as hopeless we all often have people we just say there's no there's no changing them they're they're hopeless no matter what I do we say they're not going to change And if you don't have anyone you consider hopeless, who do you you treat as hopeless? I mean, the classic argument for not giving to people holding signs on corners is they're probably a drug addict and I'm just feeding their addiction. But isn't that kind of saying, they're hopeless? They're hopeless? I don't need to even look at them, I I can just pause. And drive on. They're just addicts. They're hopeless. Think about that one. How do you act for people so as to treat them as hopeless? The third uh, the third quality that we need to practice is to love everyone, and that's a huge thing. Uh. Yeah, love everyone. Yeah, right. That's it's almost impossible to love a few people, but that's what Jesus did. He loved everyone. So that's why we think about love when we come across people. I want to give an example of love everyone. I knew a, a friend uh, when we lived in Mexico City. We lived in a squatter's neighborhood uh, with poor people who had nothing. There was a woman who came to our little house church named Maria de Jesus, Marie, uh, Marie uh, or Mary of Jesus. And she had n- nothing. She had this really small one-room house. She had two or three kids. I can't remember uh, exactly how many kids she had. And her husband had been taken to prison. Her husband had done something wrong and was in prison. She had nobody to support the family. She sold things on the, on the street to try to feed her kids. And she came to our church and we often would give baskets, give baskets of food to her and her family. So she's got a hard situation. What does love everybody mean to her? One Sunday she came to worship and she had an extra person with the family. And it was Maria Jesus and her kids and there was this bigger teenage girl who you could tell was disabled, uh, Down syndrome. And she had brought this woman to church with her. And so I went over and introduced myself, I was talking uh, with her about it, and I said, who, who is this really?" And, and, and she says, this is my new daughter. She said, I, I found her wandering the streets. Her family had kicked her out because of a disability. Found her wandering the streets, now she lives with me. She's my daughter. That's a good way to approach loving everyone, if you ask me. So, what will happen to these tensions and mysteries? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13 9 through 13. And we're going to. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. I didn't even know I I put that one on there. I wasn't expecting that, but it fits perfectly. We see dimly now. So we need to learn to walk in the darkness or between the tensions in our lives and in our faith. And not to exclude the possibility that there's another way to look at this. My final passage uh, is uh, from Psalm eighty-five, ten, and I just love this because this is exactly what's going to happen when God clears all this up. It says, "Loving kindness and truth have met together; righteousness and peace have kissed each other." The tension and the mystery will be gone and righteousness and peace will kiss each other. And that will be a fantastic day. But until that day, brothers and sisters, believe for everyone, hope for everyone, and in as much as possible, love everyone. Let's close.